Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hi, Mike. Oh, hi. <laughs> hi, Scott. Hi, buddy. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Cough, cough, cough. Times Scott Hemingway, strange times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, been an interesting. Yeah, so I should have started with what's new, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's uh. So Scott's not laughing anymore. CrimeCon is apparently still on. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. So That's May first to May third. It may change between the time we record this and the time that this. Uh, podcast releases or it may be very intimate it may be just you folks and us yeah so use poutine 2020 when purchasing your tickets at crimecon.com for 10 percent off it's still happening they say it's still happening so and and i'm sure if not it'll just be moved and tickets still good so and here's and and here's a place covid19 cannot cancel it's the umberyard that's facebook group that's right you are safe yep as houses, as the Brits uh, say. Unless, I guess, unless maybe you scroll through the Umber Yard using your tongue on your phone. If you had given your phone to somebody who yes. had. Yeah. And, and now you're doing that. So don't do that. Yeah. Don't, don't Umber Yard that place. Way. The place itself. You will no, never, no. I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah, we, we test it daily. Daily. For COVID. D- there's and plenty of talk of it. Yes. But you will not get COVID-19 
in nope. the Umber Yard. Nope. And we're trying to keep things light and fluffy in there. For sure. Uh, I, I've sort of put a little bit of a ban on the toilet paper memes. I'm, I'm a little done with that. <laughs> there are only 7,000 an hour being submitted. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get on with this show. And as usual in this episode, we'll do our best to maintain our customary care and respect for the victims and their family and friends. We have a little extra word of warning before we start. The following events describe the murder of a child during a sexual assault. We will provide only details required for this story to move it forward. However, some listeners may find this episode particularly disturbing. We don't get into graphic details. This is going to be a hard one. Here's something that we'll be adding to appropriate episodes moving forward. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686-868. In the U.S. or U.K., they can text 741-741. You'll be matched with a volunteer counselor who is supervised by licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 for those in crisis. For more information, please go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. I'm really glad that we're putting that in now. Yeah. That's I, really, yeah. I hear a similar thing in case file episodes. Yeah. So I thought, what can we do? Because we don't want to be leaving people just traumatized after yeah. an episode. So. Yeah. No, that's br brilliant. Good job, Mike. I utilized a version of this service when I was in crisis almost 28 years ago, mm -hmm. and I really believe that it saved my life. So if you need it, use it. Yeah, and um, not that we sh should be having children listening, but if you're a child, there's also the Kids Help Phone, which is a great resource. Well, the text line is powered by the Kids Help Phone, oh, which okay. people think only kids can call, but it's mm -hmm. for everybody. Yeah. I volunteer there every year. Oh, do you? Yeah. There you go. As usual... Much of our information on this case comes from court documents and published news articles. Another helpful source was an eight-part article titled Personal Story, Heather, on the blog Behind the Yellow Tape, written by Pete Cross, a member of the serious crime section of the Surrey RCMP detachment hmm. who was involved with this case. Interesting. We'll provide links to Pete's series about the case in our show notes. Much of the detail around timelines on the day of the murder, as well as other pieces of valuable facts, including the investigation, would not have been available otherwise had Mr. Cross not made them so accessible. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Peter Cross. Yeah. I re reached out to him yesterday, but I still haven't heard anything back from him. So it would have been great to have like a quote or two from him directly. Yep. Yep. But like I say, he wrote such great articles with lots of information. I thanked him already for them mm -hmm. and told him that we were going to quote things. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, good, good on him for uh, putting that work in. This is episode 116, Close to Home, The Murder of Heather Thomas. The townhome complex at 17722 60th Avenue is right across from the Cloverdale Fairgrounds. That's very close to here. It is. As October 1st, 2000 was a Sunday, the parking lot of the fairgrounds were jam-packed with folks attending the Cloverdale Market that takes place there every Sunday between 6 a.m. and 3 mm -hmm. p.m. 
It's not only a flea market with plenty of used goods for sale, but local growers also sell their wares, anything from fresh produce to plants and flowers. It's a busy market. Their website says Cloverdale has been the home to the flea market for over 45 years, and over 7 million customers have passed through its gates. Holy Christ. Have you ever been there? Yeah, well, no, not to the flea market itself, but I've been to the the, uh, the grounds there. We've we, gone to we've watch uh, together, yeah, yeah. Canada Day celebrations mm-hmm. and stuff, yeah. But uh, yeah, Carol and I have been to that flea market. Mm-hmm. It is a super busy place. That's what I gather. That's what I hear. It was Pat Thomas's weekend with his kids in Unit 26 of that housing complex. As Pat tinkered at a carpentry project, his son Chris and Heather, 10 years old, had gone outside to play around 4 p.m. while they waited for their mom, Jody to come and pick them up and take them back to her place here in Newton. Oh, wow. She was due there around 5.30 p.m. Chris was alone when he came back into the house at 4.35. Pat sent Chris back outside to bring Heather in, too. Chris did as he was asked and came back inside, having been unable to locate his sister. Pat decided he'd go look himself and ask some of the other kids and parents who were around the complex if they'd seen Heather. Someone told Pat that one of the kids had loaned her a bicycle and no one had seen her since she'd ridden off on it. From Peter Cross's posts on the case, quote, A few minutes later, the borrowed bike was found, but no sign of Heather. According to one witness, the bike tire was still spinning when they found it. Oh. Near the front of the complex, in a parking stall on its side. Local parents began to look around the neighborhood for Heather. The police were called and a group of searchers went across the street to the fairgrounds to see if Heather was around there or if any of the flea market vendors and staff had seen her. There was a harness racing event on the grounds that night too, which meant as the parking lot emptied of one group of people, another group was showing up. So it was Mm -hmm. a busy, busy day. Search and rescue got involved quickly in the search for the 10-year-old. There was no sign of her anywhere. (sighs) Heather had just vanished. Again, there's that sinking feeling that a parent must feel when a child goes missing, just like you've talked about before, Scott. Yeah, I, I think that's what I was trying to uh, say a few minutes ago. Uh, it, it, I'm getting that feeling of panic that I have had in the past yeah. when your uh, daughter goes missing for like five minutes in the in the mall. Yeah, I remember it was it it was just a yeah. Oh my god! You mm-hmm. know, I thought Joanna had her. She thought I had her. I saw I had saw I saw her run off, but I thought she was just playing. And then I come out of the store, and where's Violet? And you just just that instant, oh my! It, this well, is, where this, where was she? Uh, she took off running. I guess went into another store, got lost. Uh, oh, we no. we I took off running through the mall, yelling her name, asking people, "Have you seen her?" At the other end of the mall, I ran into two adults, uh, mm-hmm. man and woman, a couple who who. She was with them. I feel like a jerk now because I didn't spend enough time thanking them. It was just yeah. like, oh my God, thank you. Oh, thank, oh, Violet, come on. And, and just walk away. And walk away because yeah. you're just in shock and it was just like, oh my God. But yeah, your mind instantly starts going to, okay, who took her? Yeah. Where is she? Do we need to call the police? Mm-hmm. What am I going to, oh, yeah. According to Peter Cross's article, the reason why he and the serious crimes officers were called to the complex at around 10 p.m. that night was that the earlier responding officers didn't feel that Pat, Heather's father, was behaving normally the way a concerned father, quote, should. He seemed calmer than they would have expected. 
The home and Pat's car had been searched thoroughly, but the serious crimes officers went through everything again. Pat was taken to the detachment and interviewed until about 2 a.m. when he rejoined the search parties. He had cooperated fully and answered all the questions posed to him. Suspicious behavior or not, the timelines of Pat Thomas's whereabouts did not add up to him having anything to do with his daughter's disappearance. Yeah. yeah. He was just not reacting the way people thought Which that he it, should. It's important to not assign how somebody should react to a, a trauma. Totally. But it is something that the police will look for. Understandably, you're because trying they're trained to, ask, to. Yeah, you're trying to ascertain uh, indicators that will lead you to what you need to do. So I, I understand it. I've tried to think about how I would react, but one, you don't really know. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't. And so it's, uh, we think we do, but until you're faced with. And perhaps this guy, to protect his own sanity, made up in his mind that Heather had just gone off with a friend and had forgotten the time. I mean, he, maybe oh, he just we, didn't want to believe that someone had taken his daughter. I can completely understand how somebody's brain would, that, that's how it's going to cope. As time passed, it was looking more likely that Heather Thomas had been abducted, which terrified everybody. Oh my God, I bet. On an article on the missingkids.ca site on stranger slash non-family abduction... Quote, while cases of stranger abductions of children in Canada are extremely rare, the impacts of such events on communities and the general public are significant. The term stranger abduction is used to describe situations where the child is taken by a complete stranger. The term non-family abduction is used to describe situations where a child is abducted by someone who is outside of their family, however may be familiar to the child, mm -hmm. such as a neighbor or a family yep. acquaintance. Yep. Yeah. Police knew that time was not on their side as the seconds ticked by. The outlook was not good. Mm. According to a study on the protectchildren.ca website, if a child was murdered by a stranger or non-family abductor, 70% were murdered within three hours of their abduction. If a murder is going to take place in one of these cases, it happens pretty quickly. Yeah. Heather was already gone for nine hours when her father rejoined the search for her. So the stats aren't on her side. Peter Cross wrote about the search widening as the night wore on using the townhouse complex as its center point. He wrote, quote, This would include earthen ditches and metal culvert, smithwrights, overgrown brush, playgrounds, residential yards, businesses, large and small, under houses and sheds, and hundreds of garbage cans, any receptacle or place that could hide a small 10-year-old girl's body, and any clothes or objects that could belong to that young girl. A search of this intensity turning up all sorts of detritus that may or may not relate to Heather. And each piece of possible evidence had to be screened by investigators, cataloged, and eliminated or confirmed. You know, that's interesting. Typically, when I think of search parties, you hear uh, search parties looking for so I visualize and picture the woods. There's scouring fields in wooded areas. That did happen in this case as for well. For sure, but I don't really typically visualize neighborhoods. And yeah. when you think about it, yeah, there are a lot more places that you have to search in a residential mm. area. And so like that would, that, you know, I never really thought about that and how daunting that is. Especially in a large area like yeah, this one. Very heavily populated and dense. 
Cross mentioned that Cloverdale's proximity to the U.S. border was also a concern. Mm, yep. Quote, maybe Heather had been put into a car or truck and may have been literally out of Canada in 30 minutes. He's just going to say, it's about a 30-minute drive, so yeah. In Cloverdale, you're actually much closer to the border as well. And one, there's a crossing at 176, which is right where exactly. this area is. So, yep. yeah. The search wore on for days. Many were going without sleep wanting to find oh, Heather bet. Thomas. Search and rescue volunteers came from nearby municipalities and even across the border from Washington State. Cross wrote, By day three, 1,200 volunteers from the community would show up. Even more were turned away. It was amounting to one of the largest searches ever conducted by the RCMP in Canada. End quote. Fuck, I can't even imagine three days with your child missing. Like, no. I don't know how I could possibly function. I don't like. No, I I can imagine both you and Joanna losing your minds. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, God, the dress and pain you'd be going through. Heather's mother, Jody, was interviewed by Harold Monroe for the Vancouver Sun on October 5th. So that's four days later. Okay. And they're still looking for her. Yeah. Until yesterday, it was nonstop crying, she said. I swear I've run out of tears. Last night was the first time I slept since Sunday. I wake up and I expect Heather to be there. I just keep looking for her and she's not there. It just still doesn't seem real. Monroe wrote about what he saw in their home. Quote, Heather's bedroom is that of a typical grade five student, except that it is perhaps tidier than most. (laughs) One wall is adorned with posters of the Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls, product of the time. A collection of porcelain dolls rests in a neat row on a shelf above the pink and green quilted bed. Her pet guinea pig, Patches, stares up from a cage on the floor. The family also has a rabbit and recently brought home a cat, a gray female named Precious, that curls up at night to sleep on Heather's bed and always followed her around. She loves animals, Jody Thomas said. She'd love to be a veterinarian and she's so good with animals, end quote. Sounds quite familiar, aside from the clean room. Yeah. To my kids. The local media was alive with updates on the search for the missing girl hourly. Even international media picked up on the story. Missing posters with Heather Thomas's face were all over Surrey, Cloverdale, and Langley. Searchers were covering an amazing amount of ground, and they looked in watery ditches. Even divers were brought in to mm-hmm. do that. Fields were searched in grid patterns, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. The bike Heather had been riding was also dusted for fingerprints, I would imagine so, yeah. On October 6th, the Surrey Leader reported, quote, As the search for Heather Thomas continues in the Cloverdale neighborhood she vanished from, investigators are frustrated by a lack of evidence, says Corporal Janice Armstrong. Quote, Are we any closer to finding Heather? Sadly, I would say not, Armstrong said Thursday. We have no solid leads. Oh, God. She just, God. Like, poof. Further on, the article reads, Residents who live near the site of the disappearance say frustrations are rising. There's a lot of paranoia around the neighborhood, resident Tim Iben said. Justified paranoia. People are very much on edge, end quote. We talk about how difficult it would be as the family, but imagine living in the like the, the suite two over from them and you've got kids yeah. and you're having to sit here and, oh my God. One little girl, I read a bit of her blog online, and she mentioned that she had known Heather, and she was having trouble sleeping. She had to sleep on her parents' floor and and stuff like that. And just imagine how much fear is instilled in in those neighbors in regards to, um, okay, like, my kid could be next. 
Well, we've mentioned it before when uh, when the the woman was murdered yep, across, across the street. The street. Yep. How terrified we were for our own wives because they were all around the same age and oh hell even yeah. for myself i i vividly remember having to go to work uh the next day and it was i had to get up at like four and it was cold and just like dark out and i was terrified walking to my car six days after heather disappeared america's most wanted did a 30 second segment on her calling for anyone who had any information to call in a tip line was set up which blew up with tips. Peter Cross wrote, quote, As the file went on, over 5,000 tips would eventually be received with wow. over 40 psychic callers alone. <laughs> we know how you feel about those. <laughs> the self-described, quote, professional psychics would all offer up where the body of Heather could be found. So you heard the woods, the water, buried in a shallow grave. Mm -hmm. There were many calls where they went on to say who was responsible, and in many instances, it was the father. But if not, then a white individual who worked with his hands. Some even offered to take investigators to the body, something we couldn't ignore, but of course, these didn't pan out. But did extend my belief that there were a lot of crazies in the world, end quote. Yep. Yep. If anything, they do a disservice. Just waste people's time. Waste people's send time. Send them down a red herring road. And and I don't fault any parents who may seek it because again, if my yeah. kid's missing, I'm gonna. I, I don't care. I'm gonna do whatever I, yeah. I can to find her. Every tip has to be followed up. Yep. On. Yep. Yeah. So if, if some quack is coming to me with, here's my vision. Yep. I don't care. I'm gonna want to dig into it because I don't care how I want my kid found. And so they're just taking advantage. Mm -hmm. of very, very vulnerable people. Using ViClass, the RCMP's criminal database, cops also rounded up the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. They were mostly men in the area who had a history of offenses against children. It's probably a sadly long list. But nothing panned out. It is long. Yeah. According to the Vancouver Sun on October 4th, 2000, there were 100 persons of interest in the immediate area. So that's like... A few, like a square radius of a mile, most Something likely. Something like that, like, yeah. geez. So that number grew as the days wore on. Mm -hmm. It was up to 200, I think, at one point in uh, Peter Cross's oh, articles. Those are terrifying stats. Terrifying. Because they apply to everywhere. Every neighborhood, every home. Like, yeah. And so, oh, God. Investigators were also interviewing all the neighbors in the 50-unit complex as well as those who live close by. Mm-hmm. Not one claimed to have had any knowledge of Heather's whereabouts after she'd been last seen on her friend's bike. A week after Heather vanished, RCMP set up roadblocks all around the entries of the Cloverdale market, interviewing at least 500 cars full of people about the previous week and asking about Heather. They spoke to 200 vendors who'd been present the week before. What a huge operation. Holy Christ. On October 12th, Reports came in that a late 70s four-door car had been seen in a, quote, no parking zone on the day hmm. of and near the time that Heather had disappeared. Perhaps this was the break that they were looking for, but police were unable to locate the owner of the car. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially, it's an old van. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's not, there's not a lot of detail yeah. there. To... It's just an old, yeah, there's an old car there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. That's all the detail anybody had. Yeah, and that's like, oh, well, this, sure, this will really help. The searches began to wind down, mm. and the missing posters bearing Heather Thomas's face were put up further and further away. <sighs> we saw that with Michael Dunahee. Yeah. Yeah. 
On October 18, 2000, a nighttime candlelit prayer vigil was held for Heather Thomas at the Cloverdale Fairgrounds with family, friends, neighbors, and other concerned folks all hoping for Heather's safe return. On October 22, 2000, at around 2.30 p.m., a full three weeks after Heather Thomas had vanished from her father's Cloverdale townhouse complex, a hiker in the Golden Ears Park noticed something floating 20 meters offshore in Alouette Lake. It looked a lot like a body and a small one. The hiker called 911 and RCMP attended. The shape in the water, floating face down, was a little girl, naked below the waist, wearing a sweater matching the description of one Heather Thomas had been wearing when she went missing. They were not 100% sure it was Heather, but initial signs pointed to this as being her. According to Peter Cross, quote, the young person's face was now unrecognizable, water having its unkind way with human yeah. flesh as it always does, yeah. both preserving and destroying certain parts of the body. Yeah. The park had been closed by Ridge Meadows RCMP as they began the grim task of retrieving the body in water. And this next thing is probably going to make you mad. Peter Cross wrote, quote, a media helicopter earlier in the day had to be forced out of the area and a clear airspace established through Vancouver Air Traffic Control. As it turned out, the helicopter had gotten so low over the half-submerged body that that the chopper blades were actually blowing the still semi-submerged body from its natural resting spot. Get the hell out of here. Cross went on to write, The picture, or scoop, they obtained was shown on the front page the next day of the province newspaper, and they lost nearly 90,000 subscribers in the following days as a result. For a local newspaper, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot of subscribers. We're not talking about the New York Times with millions of subscribers. I probably saw that. I don't remember, but I mean, this is where we live. Yeah. Carol and I were living in, in Maple Ridge at the time. Yeah, and so, so I highly doubt that it got by without having glimpsed it. Yeah. Thankfully, I can't I remember recall. It. Do you? Yeah, very well. I Thankfully, I don't. We'll take a break right here. We're back. Uh, so what are your thoughts so far, Scott? Oh, a lot of anxiety. A lot of anxiety with these. Yeah. Beating a dead horse, I say it all the time, but just having kids, like all I can do is put myself in the parent's shoes and just visualize that's one of my kids. And especially Olivia, that's Olivia's age, and just sit there like three weeks, Mm. three goddamn weeks, your child is missing. And just how do you function? Yeah. I can't imagine the pain that you're in as a parent for that duration yeah. of a time of just this unknown. Oh. And especially when the news turns out not to be good. Yeah, I'm sure that every parent at, at that point recognizes I, in their heart, I know what this result is going to be, but you're hoping mm. it's a different result. And so the news will tear you apart. Golden Ears Park and Alouette Lake are no short distance from No, Colorado. they're not. No. And this was nine years before the Golden Ears Bridge joined Surrey and Maple Ridge, making the journey so much it easier. So would, would have had to have driven back down yep. over the uh, Portman Bridge. That's and right. That, that's, it's a whole, they had a ferry 40 crossing. Kilometers, they had a, 40 kilometers, over 40 kilometers. There was a ferry crossing where the mm-hmm. the Golden Ears Bridge is. Well, close to there. Close to, but that's even more terrifying thinking that 
if he was on that. The Albion Ferry. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. And to get to the Albion Ferry, you had to drive right through Fort Langley yep. and wait for the ferry yep. and all that kind of stuff. It was... Yep. Oh. But so why the long drive? Was somebody trying to use the distance to cover up a more local crime? Uh, so if I'm guessing, I'm thinking that the person is not a, a complete stranger, be it a neighbor or be it a friend of the family, and they went to an area that they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. To uh, and they know is isolated, and they know uh, can probably do what they want to do, and mm-hmm. and uh, without having much fear of people noticing and then of disposing in a remote area. Well, let's find out. Yeah, searchers scoured the lake and the beach around the area looking for clues. A bracelet made of cloth, later assumed to be Heather's, was found near the body. She made it herself. To get ahead of the media, Heather's parents were notified of the discovery of the body in Alouette Lake and that police presumed it was her. Yeah. Peter Cross reported that Pat Thomas had been again unusually calm when he'd been told of his daughter's death over the phone. But Cross wrote, quote, 20 minutes after hanging up, I was alerted that we had to send a couple of police in uniform to his house. His girlfriend was calling, saying Pat was, quote, going crazy. Yeah. At last he had broken. So this was what it took, was knowledge that his little girl was gone. Well, I'm getting the sense, as you talked talked about earlier, that he's somebody who is trying to not diminish in any way, but kind of, I'm, I'm going to remain calm, rational. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to, I've got to focus on finding my kid. I've got to focus on the steps and trying to hold strong until you get the news. And then what you have been holding strong for, it's irrelevant now and you yep. just flip. Peter Cross wrote, quote, A few hours into the search, the officers on a skiff located a large hockey bag mm. submerged in 1.2 meters of water, but only a few meters from where Heather was floating, end quote. The large bag was a black Winwell brand bag meant for carrying sports equipment. There were rocks in it weighing it down. The body could have been in that bag at some point and floated free due to a broken zipper. Clothing matching that worn by Heather on the day she went missing was also found in the bag. There was also a towel in the bag that did not belong to Heather. Police would use this bag as holdback evidence. And I was just going to say, like, that that is a key piece of evidence right there. Having that bag, you're not going to get any DNA or anything after having been submerged for that long. But not everybody has these bags. Peter Cross wrote, quote, The flow and level of the lake is manually controlled by park authorities utilizing some sluice gates near one end of the lake. As winter approaches and as a matter of routine, the level of the lake is lowered, end quote. This led Cross and other investigators to the conclusion that perhaps whoever had put the body into the lake was unaware of the practice. I've learned that now. You were this many years old. Yeah. The body that had been in the water was taken to a secure place where technicians confirmed everyone's worst fears. Mm. Using dental records, the remains were identified positively as those of 10-year-old Heather Thomas. Media outlets broke the news as soon as they could. The suspected abduction had been confirmed and now it appeared to be a murder as well. This news paired with an unusually high number of attempted abductions in the lower mainland over the previous few months had parents and neighbors terrified. 
Though police presumed Heather's cause of death was strangulation, her body was in such a state that pathologists couldn't definitively determine that for sure. There were no signs of sexual assault and no signs of semen present. At the time Heather's body had spent in the water, as you mentioned, washed away yeah. vital evidence. Yeah. A break in the case came quickly. A dispatcher from Ridge Meadows RCMP remembered a call. On the morning of October 2nd, the morning after Heather went missing, a very distinctive car had been spotted in the area where her body was later found. Park employees called Ridge Meadows RCMP to report a, quote, suspicious vehicle. The large car was first seen in the park by employees at around 6.50 a.m. They were on their way to work. According to Peter Cross, quote, as they drove in their carpool, a slow-moving big boat of a car appeared in front of them, the driver wearing a hoodie. It was difficult to pass, so they followed it for quite a while until about a kilometer south of the boat launch. The car was spotted soon afterward, like minutes later, with its hood up. The driver was not around at that point. RCMP were notified of the vehicle for the first time at 7.20 a.m. The car was spotted again between 10.30 and 11 a.m. on the ramp of the boat launch. RCMP were called again, but before they were able to attend, the car had been seen driving out of the park at 80 kilometers per hour. And I believe that that road is a 50 kilometer zone or it even is. less. Yeah, it, yeah. The car was gone by the time police had arrived. Park employees had noted the license plate, though. Oh, it must be distinct. It was DRE-666. The car stood out, not only for its size, but it had been customized as well. It was a 1971 Chevrolet Impala, and that's your favorite car. I, not the year, but yeah, I have, a, I have an Impala tattoo on my shoulder. Yeah. It had been modified into a low rider. It was metallic green in color with gold-covered spoke wheel covers and white vinyl upholstery. Yeah, that's about as distinct... As you can get. Yeah, yeah. You, you, when you see a low rider like that, it stands out. Well, the spidey senses of the investigators buzzed as the owner of the car was determined to be a 23-year-old man named Shane Ertmode. Shane's address was unit number 8 at 17722 60th Avenue. He was Pat Thomas's neighbor in the exact same townhome complex that Heather had disappeared from. Oh, okay, I was accurate. The fact that Ertmoed had presumably been in the park near the place where Heather's body had turned up only hours after she had vanished was a strong piece of circumstantial evidence. Incredibly. Police quickly learned that Shane Ertmoed worked in Pitt Meadows, a community near Golden Ears Park. According to court documents, Shane's work supervisor in Pitt Meadows had timesheets for Shane's work on October 2nd, 2000. Shane had started work at 8 a.m. He had left at 10.30 a.m saying he didn't feel well. The short shift. Yeah. The timelines added up for the times that his car was spotted in the park. Shane reported a break and enter into his unit to the Surrey RCMP on October 2nd as well. Okay. It wasn't until 48 hours after the report that an officer attended. According to Peter Cross, the attending ident officer noted, quote, clothes thrown into a pile in the middle of the floor as if someone had emptied a bag. This would not be uncommon as culprits take a pillowcase or a bag to carry the stolen items. Sure. So he asked Shane if he was missing a bag of any kind. Shane said he wasn't missing any bag, end quote. During interviews with Shane's work supervisor and another man, police asked whether Shane was into sports. The two freely gave descriptions of Shane carrying his equipment in a large black hockey bag. 
Okay, this is coming together good now. A search warrant was obtained, and while Shane was at work, investigators entered his house to look for evidence. They didn't find anything in the way of direct evidence linking Heather Thomas definitively to Shane's suite. There was no blood, DNA, or other obvious signs that she'd been there at all. There were some smudges from a child's fingerprints okay. on a window, but they yep. couldn't definitively yep. you know, say they belonged to her. Understandably. Towels matching the one found in the hockey bag were found. Two receipts were found in a drawer. One was for a movie at Colossus Movie Theater, The Exorcist, at 7.30 p.m. on the night Heather went missing. And that's in... Uh... Langley. Yeah. Another was a gas receipt from 520 the same night from a gas station on 200th Street near the theater. Colossus, yeah. Peter Cross wrote... Quote, it now seemed completely obvious that Shane Ertmode was setting up his alibi, getting ready to prove that he was not at home at the yeah. crucial time. The receipts were photographed and left in place. They didn't want to tip it off that they had been there to yeah, look in this okay. place. But interestingly, when they had opened that drawer, he had set those things sort of off to the side. So they were separate from all the other junk and stuff in the drawer. It looked really obvious. Staged yeah. from him, like, yeah, make, oh, let's make sure they see this. Video cameras in the theater, and there apparently were 22 of them, oh. showed Shane buying a ticket, but he did not go anywhere near the particular theater showing the film. <laughs> so he didn't go to the movie. Investigators in Vernon, where Shane had lived until 1999, noted that Shane had been investigated for sexually interfering with a child who his girlfriend had been babysitting. Oh, Jesus. He was caught in the act doing push-ups on the 10-year-old girl after taking her from her bed. What? Police were notified, but due to, quote, sloppy police work and too much time passing before investigators got around to dealing with the allegations, Shane was never charged with any crime at that time. So oh, that's why he didn't show God. up on bike class. Oh, God. According to Joey Thompson in the Vancouver Sun, on the year of his high school graduation, Shane also admitted to a counselor in the North Okanagan Mental Health Unit of his sexual fantasies involving young girls but he denied ever acting on them. Search warrant in place. Police stole Shane's car on October 26th. <laughs> I love this part of the story. Oh, that, yeah. You they, had me at stole. They towed it to a secure yard after doing a bit of uh, uh, dodge and chase with a uh, reporter's van oh. who were following the, following the tow truck. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so they've got the... Um, police trying to lose yeah. a media van or yeah. vehicle in, in a tow truck. So this at the secure yard is where the forensic team and investigators were all waiting. Mm -hmm. The huge trunk of the car was filled with the hydraulics, hydraulics from the yeah. lower low yeah. rider kit. It's not a small thing. No. No, the hydraulic kits are huge. And there was no room left in that trunk to yep. hide a body, even one as small as Heather's. Yep, yep. But according to Peter Cross, there was enough space under the hood of the car to fit the bag. In fact, there was an area about three feet in length on the driver's side that appeared to have the dust and dirt recently, quote, scraped away. Hmm. One large officer even climbed in and the others were able to close the trunk completely on him. Holy That's how big this shit. trunk was. And, or and the the not the hood closed the hood completely yeah. on him. Wow, and that, and that's the vehicle had been seen pulled to the side of the road with the hood up. Yes. So yeah, mm. exactly. Now because I was thinking, oh, did the car break down? But now it's like, okay, yeah. 
Neighbors had set up a fence of hope along the fence of the townhouse complex. Teddy bears, flowers, and now notes of condolence for he- for the loss of Heather Thomas filled every inch. Mm-hmm. News crews had been staking out the complex to capture Pat Thomas's and community reactions as the case unfolded after Heather was reported missing. Shane reported his car stolen to the police on Friday. They, of course, knew where it was. But that same day, Shane was unwittingly told by a news reporter that his car had been seen being towed away by a BCAA vehicle. It had not been stolen. So (laughs) he was tipped off a Mm -hmm. little bit. Accidentally, I'm sure by a, a reporter with, yeah, a, with yeah. who didn't who didn't mean any harm. Yeah, but yet harm yeah. was done. Right. On Sunday, Shane was moving out of the complex. Whoa! He and the friend helping him were interviewed by a TV crew for Vancouver Television's News at Six. Holy shit! He was asked if he had seen Heather on the day she disappeared. According to a Vancouver Province article, Shane said, "Quote." No, I haven't ever saw her at all, actually. Your neighbor. (laughs) When the day that happened, me and my brothers were standing out there and we left around 3.30 p.m. His friend says the flea market was over at 4. We came here at 4.30, left here at 4.30. Then Ertmode adds, I have a gas receipt saying I got gas at 4.30 p.m. End quote. (gasps) Wow. Why would you, like... The, but here's the thing. The people interviewing him didn't know that he was a suspect. He was just some guy who's moving out. I know, but when you, I'm sure that his car going missing, maybe. For sure. But... But knowing the facts after, mm-hmm. as we do now, of course, uh, you know, the police are like, they must have been thinking, you're, okay, dude, you're just sinking yourself here. Because yeah. you just, yeah. Why would you offer up uh, an alibi when nobody asked you did right. you kill her? Yeah. Where were you on this date? I didn't kill her. Like, he might as well have just blurted that out. Yeah. Shane moved into a basement suite at 206 and 44A Avenue in Langley, but police were watching him closely by this point. Oh, I bet. They were concerned for the safety of a five-year-old who lived in the house upstairs. Oh, Jesus Christ. Police took control of the now-empty apartment in Pat Thomas's complex. Search till your heart's content. Pull up carpet. All of the above. Yeah. Heather Thomas was laid to rest during a service at the Valley View Cemetery just blocks from here on November 1st, 2000. Arrangements were made for up to 700 to attend the service with video links for those outside the venue. Surrey RCMP escorted Heather's family to the cemetery. Police arrested. 225-pound Shane Robert Ertmode without incident on November 3rd, 2000, and charged him with first-degree murder in the death of Heather Thomas. Cagey at first, after some creative and expert questioning, Shane confessed in a videotaped interview the next day to killing Heather Thomas and disposing of her body. Shane had lured Heather into his apartment, promising to show her photos of birds. Son of a... So, you know, like animals. Mm-hmm. Little kids what love animals kids like? and candy. Yes, they do. From court documents, quote, In his confession, Shane described how he invited Heather into his townhouse, laid with her on the floor, removed her pants and underpants, and asphyxiated her while stifling her screams of protest. He denied violating her sexually. Bullshit. Shane described to Corporal Bishop how he had used his black football bag to carry her body to his car, along with her clothing, 
and how he drove to Golden Ears Park that same afternoon because it was near to where he worked. He said he hid the bag in dense forest adjacent to the park's roadway, concealing it with branches and brush. He told Corporal Bishop he returned the next morning, October 2nd, on his way to work, driving slowly along the park's roadway and eventually finding the location where he had concealed the bag by finding the tire tracks his car had left the day before on the shoulder. Mm. He left the car unattended with his hood open while he went to find the bag, but he left the bag undisturbed because he was in a hurry to get to work on time. He left work early on the pretext of being ill, returned to the park, recovered the bag, parked at the park's boat launch, inflated a small dinghy, and dropped the bag into the lake about 500 meters to the left of the boat launch, end quote. He said specifically, quote, she wanted to see more pictures of birds, and I said no, and she started screaming. And then I put my hand over her mouth, I guessed over her throat, and the next thing I knew, she was dead. It happened so quick. I'm not a monster, but that doesn't matter because what's done is done, and now I have to pay the price. He also stated, I strangled her with my hands. Before I knew it, she was dead. I didn't mean to hurt her at all. RCMP planted an undercover officer with Shane in his cell over the next few days, where Shane also made indirect, inculpatory comments about the crime. However, you'll never guess how he pled when it came to trial, Scott. Oh, he's going to plead not guilty. That's right. He and, pled not guilty. And just absolutely full of shit. So what, if you didn't sexually violate her, why were her pants removed? Like, what? There's, there's no reason. Why would you... Maybe his idea of sexual violation and ours are two different things. Absolutely. But... I'm not making high, excuses. No, you're, for the guy. you're you're absolutely probably correct, but he yeah, he's aware. He, he knows what he did mm -hmm. was a sexual violation. He claimed he had been spooning her. But like why? Right. Why She's a though? That's girl. all and then why kill her? Mm -hmm. Why kill her if you didn't do if you didn't sexually there's no reason. Right. If you just wanted to show her birds. Right. And she got upset. Mm -hmm. You just, you go, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Okay, no, yeah, go, please. Yeah. You don't say, oh, my God, I've got a kid in my home screaming. I need to kill this person. Like, right. no. no, he absolutely sexually violated her and, and killed her to, to silence her. Even though his lawyers fought to keep it out, the four-hour videotaped interview, including Shane's confession, was deemed admissible. Jurors, though, would not hear about his previous molestation accusation because mm. that would be too mm -hmm. inflammatory, and he wasn't convicted of, yeah. convicted of anything. Yeah. According to court documents at trial, Ertmoed, quote, testifying on his own behalf, denied killing Heather Thomas and disposing of her body. He told the jury he had never been in Golden Ears Park. He denied that the bag found in the lake was his. He swore that his confession was false and that his statements to the undercover officer were innocent remarks. As for his knowledge of details that only the killer would have known, he claimed that some were in the public domain contrary to the police evidence, and that others were the product of either Corporal Bishop's leading questions or his own process of deduction. Yeah, bullshit. He was cross-examined for six days. Good. Right? Fantastic. At the end of his 2002 trial, the jury didn't buy an ounce of Shane's bullshit. Good. Shane was convicted and sentenced to the mandatory life without the chance of parole for 25 years. Good. He did apply for parole under the Faint Hope Clause in 2016, but his request was denied. Well, I suspect it will continue to be. According to Andy Ivins, 
Vancouver Sun report on August 30th, 2002, the day that he was sentenced, Jody Thomas, Heather's mom, said after Ertmode's conviction, quote, I hope she haunts him until the day he dies. So do I. So do I. More from the protectchildren.ca website, that 2016 study that I mentioned called Abducted and Then Murdered Children, a Canadian study. It took in cases between 1970 and 2010. So Heather's was one of them okay. that was included in the study. Okay. It examined 155 child victims and 93 offenders involved in an environmental scan and examination of instances involving the abduction and subsequent murder of a child by someone other than a parent or close relative. Okay. The study says in part, the average victim was 11.6 years old with a significant proportion of victims between the ages of 14 and 16 years old, okay. so 43%. Yeah. 77% of the victims were or reliably assumed to be Caucasian, so white kids. Okay. They were mostly female, 90 odd percent. Mm -hmm. The next highest representation by race, though, was Aboriginal at 17%. <sighs> Motivation for abducting a child was determined to be sexual in 77% of all instances that involved a later convicted offender. Only 36% of the time had there been prior contact between a child and their abductor. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's lower than I thought. But this is including murder, right? Yeah. Only murders. Okay. So what are your thoughts? This guy was caught after his first murder. Do you think that he would have gone on to do more? Had he not been... I absolutely think he would have continued to offend. Oh, yeah. In yeah. some way. If, yeah. not, if not murder, he would have continued to offend Ma's station of children. Yeah. Would I'd hesitate to say that he could have been a potential serial killer because um, I think individuals like him is very much dependent on the crime itself and how, how it goes. Mm -hmm. I think he may have changed how he operated in getting kids and where he would sure. abuse them and stuff. But he would have continued to... Abuse, absolutely. Yeah. And if need be, if he felt to uh, save himself, he would absolutely kill again. Mm. Well, that's it for this week's case. Holy shit. Right. Oh, God. It, it was pretty intense. Yeah. I um, want to go and find this person and eradicate them. Well, y you could probably find him in jail because yeah. that's where he is. Yep. And I have a feeling that's where he's probably going to stay. Oh, I absolutely, I don't see him being the kind of person who even after 25 years goes, shit, I see like why I'm here. I, I see what a terrible person I am and genuinely uh, uh, wants to do so. I don't see him being. Well, who knows? I mean, I don't want to speculate on any of that. Because we, we've certainly seen some examples where mm -hmm. people have gotten out when they shouldn't, but um Exactly. I want to remain hopeful that this sack of shit dies in prison. All right. It's time for voicemails. Let's lighten things up a little. Voicemails. Hopefully there's no voicemails from the coronavirus. For the coronavirus it has left us a mail, a yeah. voicemail. Yeah, I doubt yeah. that that's happening. Yeah. So uh, here's one from somebody I don't know, uh, and probably you don't either. So oh. let's, let's have a listen. Hi, Mike and Scott. I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I work 10-hour days at a factory, and I listen to you guys pretty much the whole day. It keeps me kind of going. Um, I've been, you guys are very sensitive to mental health topics, and I, it's just something that I've always greatly 
appreciated because I've dealt with a lot of the same things. And at 19, it can be kind of hard. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to say thank you guys for being an amazing podcast and someone that are a podcast that I will continue to listen to until whenever it ends. <laughs> thank you. Well, I'm hoping it doesn't end too soon. Yeah, n nor me. No, and I'm not planning on it ending yeah. too soon. I've I've got lots more cases that I'd love to write about. So, so fuck you, COVID. <laughs> You're not getting us. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and, th and thank you. We really, uh, yeah, we're we're huge advocates of mental health awareness because uh, we've needed mental health support often in our lives. So thank you, and glad we can. All right, let's have a listen to this one. I don't know the area code to this one. I'm not, I'm just, if it's a Canadian one that I recognize, I'll, I'll say where it's from, but uh, typically uh, a lot of these are different, so I don't know where. Hey, guys, this is Rachel from Wisner, Nebraska. Uh, number one, Scott, yes, Edwards is my mating name. Um, I'm just too lazy to change my, uh, my email address. But I was just listening to the episode about sleepwalking, and here's something super interesting. I sleptwalked as a child, and I did walk outside a couple of times to go out to the playground at my babysitter's, but my husband, he sleeps, sleepwalks, I can do words, um, when he's under a lot of stress, and it kind of freaks me out because apparently if you have a child and you and your partner sleepwalk or have a history of sleepwalking, your child is more likely to sleepwalk. So that's fun information. Um, I wish I could see you guys in Florida and hopefully I can come to CrimeCon one of these years and you guys will be there. So have a good one and take a shit in your hat. Thanks, Rachel from Nebraska. We would love it if you can come to CrimeCon sometime when we're there and uh, say hi. Yes, exactly. And I... yeah, sleepwalking after that episode, sleepwalking became something constantly in my mind and, <laughs> and now concerned about. Right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people really like the research that I put into that episode. Yeah. Especially because I have my own kind of personal experience yeah, yeah. <laughs> with with some weird sleepwalking uh, issues. But... Again, it was just so oddly timed for me because legitimately the night before, and I didn't know what we were covering and the night before my, I'm having a long conversation with a friend in, an, in, uh, the U S about, I'm not, I'm scared. Uh, my husband was sleepwalking tonight. I'm worried about like, he doesn't do it. Now I'm worried about like, should, if I wake him, well, you know, she was legit scared. And then I come and I sit down the next day and here we are talking. Cause I'm all like, don't worry. It's fine. Nobody ever ends up killing any, like that doesn't happen. Rare is so rare. Yeah. I sit down the next day and we're talking about one where somebody kills somebody. So it's like, huh? It does happen. Odd timing, man. Well, here's one from Mississippi. Oh, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Yeah. I-P-P-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-M. That's Mississippi backwards. Wow. My. I know. My mother taught me that. Wow. Well done. So here we go. Let's uh, let's go with this one. Well done, Mother Mike. Hi, gentlemen. My name is Jazzy. I'm from Tupelo, Mississippi. Um, and I have been a listener since the lovely ladies at My Favorite Murder mentioned you guys. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to y'all. Um, I work overnight at a hotel, 
and a lot of and and a lot of the time I have a lot of downtime. So, you know, it feels good to listen to you guys um and learn about a lot of true crime in Canada since I'm so far away. But anyway, um keep up the good work and hopefully I get to hear this. Yeah, have a great day. Bye. Oh, Jazzy. Well, thank you so much. Oh, that that accent is just heaven to me. I I love those accents. Jazzy, can you please <laughs> just like call me every night and just talk, like <laughs> lull lullaby me to sleep with your your beautiful dulcet tones. Oh, like yeah. that that's just like oh god, I don't know what it is. That accent is just perfection to me. Good, it's so well, pleasant. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it's it it. I don't know, man. It comforts me. Well. It, that accent comforts me. Well, we and, did hear it and when j- we were in... And Jazzy, what a name. Yeah, yeah, That I loved being in Louisiana, getting to hear... Yeah, hello, I, baby. Well, that was like probably my best dining experience ever. <laughs> there the, you go. the lady who was serving us and just every, I'd say, solid three minutes, she would come up and, hey, babies, you guys doing okay? Just <laughs> yes. like, this is, I, this is just the, hey, babies, you need some more coffee? It's like, oh, just please don't leave. Exactly. Ever stay with me. Hey, babies, how you doing? The food good, baby? Oh, my. It was incredible. You know you're a weird dude, right? Like, oh, it's, it's wait, good. Wait, that's yeah, why, that's yeah. why, you know. No, no. That's I'm, why I love you. I'm very, very aware. <laughs> hey, babies, you need some ketchup? Uh, we forgot <gasps> uh, about our, our phone number. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, so... You can leave us your own voicemail at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. That's one eight seven seven Dark Putin. If your call really stands out, you might hear it on the show. Yeah, you might. So there you go. Make it stand out. It is time for Patreon shout outs. Good. And we have a few. Okay. Uh my body is ready. Well, your body is ready. My body is oh, ready. Oh, that's fantastic. Yep. I I don't know if I like it that your body is mm. ready, but you should, Mike. Should I? You should. You really should. Okay. I've noticed Patreon is slowing down, but I think people have a lot of other more pressing things to do with their cash oh, right God. now. Oh, God. Yeah. So we do understand yeah. if you can't afford to do Patreon right now, we fully understand. First up, we have Beth Miller. Mm-hmm. Where's Beth from, Scott? Not Bet Midler? Not Bet Midler. Beth Miller. Beth Miller. From oh, oh geez, my magnifying glass is right in here my, in my brain. Yeah, because that's where I'm finding all of this. Bet, Beth, Beth Miller, Miller, not Bet Midler. Uh oh yeah, she's from uh Sobrado in Brazil. Oh okay, yeah, Sobrado, Brazil. And what does she do there? Uh, Brazilian things. Well, does she do Brazilian waxes? No, Mike. That's you just you stereotyping. And she, she, what she does there is, um, you you you've seen uh on television, I'm sure. I've seen uh, television. You, yeah. Uh, yes, the, I can always count on you for that. And uh, the people who sell like what do they call it? Shaved ice. Oh, she's then, an ice yeah, shaver. No, no. And then they put the um uh flavoring. On the shape, so it's it's like a, a yeah, a, it's what you're picturing. A slushy, it's, exactly. But so she makes the flavoring. 
Oh. Yeah. She she's makes a the, shaved ice flavorer. Yeah. Yeah. She does oh, it from home. Go. So oh. she's not like she's, she's, it's. She's not going to be spreading the COVID-19. No, no. She's, hygiene is what she's known for. Oh. Yep. Well, a that's Very, good. very well sanitized. Hygiene is important it's in, so, in it's, this day and age. It's so important. Yeah. It is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, you're not going to get anything from uh, other than happiness and enjoyment. <laughs> happiness and enjoyment? I yeah. like that. Yeah, me too. Happiness and enjoyment are things that I quite uh, appreciate. As you should, Mike. As I should. Um, we did get um, a double donation this month. Oh. So this... Person, okay. Ryan Lamperts. Wow, Ryan. He signed up at a, a level where um, we don't actually have as a level. So $15 a month. Okay. Um, and I don't know where Ryan is from specifically. Oh, you don't? Uh, I don't. Well, I actually do, but because uh, he mentions it in his next note. But yeah. Yeah, so are you trying to hint on something here? Yeah, let's find out where you think he's from, and I will tell you where uh, no, he's actually from. I know. Wow, I don't even know how to pronounce where he's from. I think it's called the... Uh, I don't Togert. Togert? Togert. Like yogurt. Yeah, it's in Algeria. Oh, wow. So Togert, yeah. Algeria. What does he do there? There's a lot of Gs in there. Uh, what he does there is he, uh, speaking of shavers... Yeah. He is a tree shaver. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's a tree shaver in Algeria, Thogurt, Algeria. He So what the purpose behind that is it helps trees maintain a um, healthy yes. coat. Okay. Which is, it, trees need healthy coats, Mike. Yeah. You don't, if you don't maintain a tree's coat. We've had a tree shaver before. No, no. Oh, yeah, we have. No, it was a tree. tree. No, there was one of those too. Really? Yeah, well, we've it's, had a it's, tree shaver. This, uh, maybe uh, Ryan was inspired. Could be. By that and decided to get into this field. I've never asked Ryan. But here's the thing. He yeah. sent us donut money too, oh. along with a note. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. And yeah. so Ryan says, thanks, Mike and Scott, for your awesome podcast. Much love from Winnipeg. Sweet. That's a far away from Algeria. It, well, uh, that, that. He could, that could be where he commutes. He's by homo. He just. P.S. If you ever come to Winnipeg and crave some deep fried goodness, O uh -huh. Donuts is the place to go. Uh -huh. They are locally owned slash operated, use local butter, eggs, and flour, and their donuts are made fresh daily. Their prices are not only reflective of the quality of their product, but that they also take care of their employees. They are very supportive of the LGBTQ2S plus community, which is awesome. PPS, I am not an O Donuts employee, just a huge fan of them and what they're all about. <laughs> I could send you guys donut money and not, I couldn't send you guys donut money and not mention them. So, well, thank you, Ryan. That sounds like one hell of a place. And I would. It really does. I now would like to go to Winnipeg, hang out with Ryan. Right. And get said donuts. We, we should do that. We really should. We can probably actually. <laughs> I love Winnipeg. As, yeah. As, which is not something you hear often from people, but my, it's where my father was born. I spent a lot of time as a child there. My grandma lived there. I was through there, but I don't know enough about it to say I love it. It has a very, uh, I don't think old timeies there, but there's a lot of history in Winnipeg. Oh, for sure. Uh, next up, we have 
Stacy Sharkey. Yeah. And where is Stacy from? Stacy's from uh oh uh it's a hard name to pronounce pretty much like all of them. Yeah. Uh, that aren't uh white Anglo-Saxon places. Well, I mean you said it, not me. Yeah. Andorra. Andorra. Yes. Oh. Yeah, from Andorra. Yes. Where is Andorra, Scott? Oh, beast of a Jesus out of me. It's on an island, I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, fair enough. And what does uh, Stacy Sharkey do on an island in Andorra? Well, what's Stacy Sharkey? Mm-hmm. Shar- not Sharkley. Sharkey. Because uh, there's two. I don't want to confuse the two. Oh, okay. Is no, it, this is Stacy Sharkey. Not Sharkley. Okay. Okay. Because I know them both. Uh, Stacy Sharkey is an automobile manufacturer. Oh. Yep. So Ford's. No, no. Subarus. It, no, she custom made. Like Fred Flintstone's car. N- no, Mike, that's ridiculous. Uh, no. Uh, she she made. What, what about this isn't ridiculous? <laughs> Mike, don't question my geniusness. Okay. Uh, she, yeah, she, she's a, she makes, she's an independent manufacturer. Oh. Yeah. So if you are in wherever I said. Andorra. She, a- Andorra. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in the market for a car, I recommend getting a Sharky. Ah, uh, Gary, there you go. Yeah, I recommend getting a sh- four on the floor, Mike. Sharky, yep. four on the floor. Exactly. Thank you, Stacy Sharky. Yeah, thank you. Uh, next up, we have Gina Frenzy. Oh, Christ, that was a lot of... Okay, okay. And it's not actually frenzy, but it's there's an extra E in there, so it's forenzy. Forenzy. Yes. Not, not freezy? No. Not freezy. Nope. Oh, yeah, she she's from Malaysia. Really? Yeah. What does she do in Malaysia? She's a crossing guard. Well, good for her. Yeah, but... Protecting those kids. No, no. In, in Malaysia, it, it, they kind of replace streetlights. Oh, boy. You, yeah, there's times... Like, so it's an actual... You're, you're pretty much law enforcement, and you, you, you'll you see videos of them dancing. Stop and go. You'll see them dancing with a lot of flourish and stuff like that. That's what that's what she does. Well, thanks, Gina. It's a dangerous job, man. Cars... Zoom, zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Melissa Olstrom. Yep. Oh, my God. Where's oh, Melissa from? I keep putting this thing down. Uh, Melissa Olstrom yep. is from the East China Sea. <laughs> what is she doing in the East China Sea? She John? works you... she works on an she's an oil rigger. Oh, she rigs oil? Yeah, she rigs oil. Yeah, she she works the drill. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else is on those things, but she works the drill. It's a hand, it's a hand crank drill. Yeah. It takes us takes a lot of muscle. A lot of a lot of grinding and a lot of muscle. Well there you go. For for oil. For oil. Yeah. The pay the payoff of all that hard work is oil. Well thanks, Gina Ferenzi, yep. for for your hard work at the oil. And the out east in the China east Sea. China Sea. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Hey, hey. We got a, a little bit of donut money from a patron. Oh. Whose name is Samantha Sovagal. Hi, Samantha. And she said, hi, guys. I just checked my Patreon account and realized I forgot to update my billing info back in October. Sigh. That's all good. Uh, I don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I've got it all sorted out and back on track now. Just wanted to send a little donut money as a thanks for oh. all the hard work on the podcast. P.S. I love that you have been sharing stories of the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls as they are so often neglected in more ways than one, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She says, as a Métis woman with an Indigenous family, I want to thank you for including these stories and encourage you to continue covering them. 
Sincerely, Samantha. Well, thank you, Samantha. It, it's a community that needs voices. Agreed. And so we, 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 I think there's a lot more everybody can do, but if we can help in any capacity, we're happy to. Yeah, we, and I feel like we could do even more and do a better job at it too. For sure. Uh, we're, we are still growing, like, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we're growing and evolving as individuals uh, week by week in uh, learning. I did get an email from a woman who, her name was Ula, mm-hmm. who was upset with our use of some racist terms in our show about uh, Ogopogo. And I misunderstood the place that she was coming at, uh, coming to this conversation. Okay. And so, um, I've since reached out to her Mm -hmm. and, and had a bit more conversation. So I understand what she was, she was driving at. Um, we did say it was racist in the show, that the language was racist in the show. Yep. But we, I don't think we drove the home, the, the, uh, point home enough. So... Was it um, perceived that these were our words? No. No? No, okay. but um, she felt it was it was more important that we really hit on that. These are racist terms. And I gotcha. So okay. Fair in enough. the future, that's what we will yeah, do. Yeah, I think that's a fair, fair uh, observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a perfect example of we're learning and growing. Yeah. You know, we, we want to make sure we're the best uh, citizens possible. Yeah. And so... Sometimes we misunderstand each other and, uh. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're, we're, we try to always be willing to, to hear yeah. other perspectives. Both of us want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. That is it. Whew. Thank you so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. Hell yeah. If you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine, or for one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it would mean a lot if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, which is working now. <laughs> Or wherever you get uh, your on-demand audio, you can easily rate us on podchaser.com. And please do. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Spread the word. The word, word, word is the word to be spread. No, Dark Poutine is the word Yes, correct. Yes, exactly. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.